Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated and welcome. It's great to see you uh, this morning on this uh, beautiful, hot summer morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to, to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the blue Bibles, or excuse me, one of the black Bibles that are in, in the pew in front of you. Uh, the reason we want you to open up your Bibles is because we are going to be looking into God's Word as we do every week, because I really don't have anything to say, but God has so much to say. And if you have a black Bible, you can find John chapter 4 on page 836. Well, these last four months have been a time of testing for, I would think, most of us. I mean, between COVID between the shelter in place, the shutting down of businesses, the shutting down of churches, the wearing of masks, the riots, the looting, and then everything else that's been going on in your life, this has been a time of testing. And now we see there's a spike in the, in the coronavirus once again, and it leaves us with a lot of questions, maybe just one in particular, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening, God? The fact is, our faith will get tested. The Bible's very clear about that. And so let me ask you a question. In times of trials, in times of tribulation, in times of trouble, do you find yourself strengthening in your faith or wavering in your faith? Do you find yourself growing in your faith or shrinking in your faith? I think it's an important question to ask yourself. What are these times of trouble and testing doing to me and my faith? Here's something that's important for you to understand. The God who has the power to solve what you're going through, who is working all things out in his sovereign will, is the same God who has the power to help you endure what you're going through and to give you the grace to trust in him. To rest in him. To praise him whether you are in the lowest valleys or on the highest mountains. That's our God. That's the God who came to save us. And the fact is God may take you through difficult times to deepen your faith and to build your trust in him. In fact, let me put this on the screen. Sometimes God allows us to experience difficult times. To move us toward a deeper faith. And so that's why in times when we're going through difficult, difficulty, we can praise him. We can worship him. Job chapter 1. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. When we come to John chapter 4, in verse 33, 43 through 54, we meet a man facing tragedy. Who takes what little faith he has. Straight to the Lord. In fact, after encountering the grace of the Lord, he departs with a deep, life-saving faith. So let's look at this tested faith. And I'm going I'm to look at this by asking some questions. And here's the first question. What should you do when tragedy hits? What should you do when trials, tribulations, tragedies hit? Let's, let's look at verse 43. 
After the two days he departed for, for Galilee, what, what two days is he talking about? Well, we know that he's been in Samaria. He met, met the woman at the well. And after her testimony, they begged him to, the people of the town of, of Sychar asked him to stay with them. So he stayed two days. We see that in verse 40. After two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they, had, they too had gone to the feast. So what we see now is Jesus leaves Samaria, which is right in the center of the nation, and he heads north. Excuse me, he, he leaves, leaves Samaria and he heads north to, to Galilee. To the, to the region where the Sea of Galilee is. And when you read this, especially when you read verses 44 and 45, there seems to be a contradiction. Now, for those of you that have been looking for a contradiction in the Bible, this might be your opportunity. This might be one of those passages that finally there's a contradiction in the Bible. I knew there was a problem with this Bible. Notice what it says in verse 44. It says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Interesting. Right after it says he departed for Galilee, John in parentheses says, for Jesus himself had testified. We know that there's a couple times he testified, especially when he was in Nazareth. And, and, and Nazareth is in Galilee. And so it's interesting. He goes up to Galilee, the area of his hometown, Nazareth. He has testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. But notice what it says in verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now that word welcome, it means to receive. It means to readily accept. So here's the tension. He goes to a place where he has admitted that he has no honor. Yet they readily accept him. What's going on here? Well, I think it tells us right at the end of verse 45. It says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So the people from Galilee during the, the Passover feast, they went south to Judea. They went into Jerusalem. And while they were there, they, they saw all the, all the miracles that Jesus was doing. In fact, in John chapter 2... I believe it is in verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Even Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 2, came to him because of the signs that he had seen. So on one aspect, he has no honor in that area. But on the other aspect, they're like welcoming him and embracing him. Why? Well, I believe here is the reason. They welcomed Jesus when they were looking for signs, when they were looking for miracles, when they were looking for what he could do for them. But they gave him no honor as the Messiah. And you can only see the contrast from those in Samaria, those at Sychar, to those now up here. When he was in Sychar, they believed his word. They embraced him as Lord. In fact, even the woman at the well said, could this be the Christ? But up in Galilee, they had no, he had no honor. But 
because of the signs, they're thinking, man, it's kind of like this is the, the Jesus circus. Let's go see what he can do. There's something spectacular that's going to happen. So they all are welcoming him. They're excited about him being there. So verse 46 tells us, it says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. So just in case you forgot what happened in chapter 2, John tells us he goes back to Cana. The place of his first miracle, we had turned water into wine. Now, do you think the people remembered what had happened? Okay, Cana's a small town. And when Jesus turned the water into the wine, took six of these large jars, 20 to 30 gallons apiece, and turned the water into wine, I mean, word got out. When, I mean, any of you that are from a small town, you know, word moves fast. And certainly, it would have been something that they never would have forgotten. So the question is, why did he go to Cana? Maybe he had to, wanted to cultivate, to water the seed that he had already planted last time he was there. But I believe that he went there because he had a divine appointment. A divine appointment with somebody that's 22 to 25 miles away. And you're going to see that. Jesus comes to Cana, and it says in verse 46, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So again, Cana is in Galilee, but so is Capernaum. So you have the Sea of Galilee, and on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, you have Capernaum, actually kind of on the north side. And about 22 miles to the west, you have this town of Cana. So there's this official. What does that word official mean? Well, it is a, it is a word that means nobleman. It's a royal official. In fact, it comes from a Greek word that means um, a kingdom. It literally means this was the king's man. He was more likely an officer in Herod's court. He was a man of means, a man's of, man of prominence, a man of position. And notice what it says. His son was ill. There's a heartbreak that all of a sudden comes out in this. Jesus goes to Cana. 22 miles away is an official, somebody of the king's court, whose son is ill. And you would guess that this, this man, this nobleman, would have hired the best doctors to heal his son. Yet to no avail. His son only got worse and he found himself desperate. But word traveled fast in the ancient world, and he would have heard that, that this Jesus, this miracle maker, was back in the region. Desperate times cause for desperate measures, so he straps on his sandals, and he hikes, he heads for Cana. Now, I would have thought that this man had already learned a life lesson. Maybe he had learned at this point Maybe for the first time that how little money really means when it comes to the most important things. Health. Salvation. But the fact is, he's also learning that tragedy, trials, and troubles will happen. In fact, Jesus tells us that in John 16, 33. Let me put it up on the screen. This is what Jesus says. He says, I've said these things to you. And he's been talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to get there, I don't know, in about a year. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you notice, you will have tribulation. Not you might, 
But he says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, you will have trials. You will have tribulation. You will have trouble. So this man is learning this truth. And often when we come to trials, when we come to troubles, we find ourselves at a crossroads. What is the crossroads? We either run from God, questioning, God, why would you allow this? Or we run to God and seek him as our shelter, as our refuge. In fact, do you realize that if this man had not gone through this excruciating trial, he might have never experienced God's grace? If he had never experienced this tragedy, he might not have ever experienced the triumph. And I'm, I'm looking around the room. You're all looking at me. And I know some of you have gone through some really difficult times. Pam and I have gone through some very difficult times. And it's a crossroads. Will we run to the Lord or will we run from the Lord? Let, let me tell you what he wants. He wants us to run to him. Whether it's our own sin, whether it's, it's a result of, of other things that have happened around us, he wants us to run to him. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and, and, and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. It is in these times that our faith is tested. I'll never forget what Zig Ziglar used to say. How many of you remember Zig Ziglar? In fact, I would encourage you. Go online and just look up Zig Ziglar quotes. They're they're classic. They're great. But listen to what Zig says. He says, it will either make you bitter or it will make you better. It's a crossroads. When you go through trials, I'm going to seek you, Lord. I'm going to seek your face. So this man had traveled six to seven hours to find Jesus. And look at verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So here's the question. When should you, what should you do when you experience a tragedy? Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. When tragedy hits, you go to Jesus. And that's what you see this man does. That's always the answer. It may not be what we always do, but that is always the answer. In fact, what you see in verse 47 is verb after verb after verb. But notice what it says. He says, when he, this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now this word asked, I think it's kind of lacking in the ESV. Other translations, in fact, the NIV says this. It says, it says, when uh, he begged, in fact, in the New American Standard, it says he was employing him. It's in the imperfect tense, meaning this, this man continually, over and over again, he begged Jesus to come back and heal his son. Listen, if you're a parent, you get that. Heal my child. This was a time of desperation. Jesus, you have to come. Like so many, he came to Jesus for what Jesus could do for him. 
something you've got to see in this text. Why did this man go to Jesus? He wanted Jesus to do something for him. He wasn't looking for Jesus to do something in him. But let me tell you, Jesus wants to do something in us before he does something through us or for us. Don't miss that. Because if we miss that, we miss the importance of Jesus being in our lives. People pursue Jesus for the benefits they gain without recognition of their, of their need for, for forgiveness of sins. The first century, there were a lot of people sick. There were a lot of people diseased. There were a lot of people that when they heard about Jesus, they went to him. Maybe with the wrong intentions. But God used that, and that's what we see here. Listen, when you or someone you love is sick, you'll try anything, and I get that. I would be the same. But the fact is, when you go through a tragedy, go to Jesus, not for what he can do for you, but what he can do through you and in you. So Jesus' response now is interesting. Look at verse 48. It's almost like a rebuke. He says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, you would think that he's rebuking this man, but he's actually not. In fact, you'll have a textual note that that you is in the plural. So at this point, a crowd has gathered. And it's almost like Jesus is not looking at this man who's begging him, but he's looking at the crowds around them. And he's saying, listen, unless, he says, Uh, uh, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This crowd was full of of miracle mongers, of of, uh, sign seekers. They weren't interested in the salvation he could provide. They were interested in the signs. They didn't care about worship. They just wanted to see the wonders. So many people want to see the spectacular or the experiential, which is not biblical. And we live in a world right now where there's a lot of, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but the fact is, church has become all about the spectacular and not the biblical. In contrast to the Samaritans, they just wanted to hear God's word and they believed based on God's word. These people, they wanted to see the signs. They wanted to see the wonders. In fact, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 22. Let me put it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Some demand signs. Some want wisdom. They're, they're, they want all the philosophy. But he's, we just preach Christ. So, this man doesn't want to, he doesn't want to debate theology. <laughs> he just wants his son healed. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 49. He says, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. It's like, you've got to come down, Jesus. Fact is, he had enough faith to believe Jesus could save his son. So first question, what should you do when tragedy hits? Go to Jesus. Here's the second question. What should you do when God speaks? What should you do when God speaks? So Jesus responds to the man's plea with a command 
and a promise. With a command and a promise. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. What's the command? To go. What's the promise? Your son will live. And we, we learn some important theology here. What's the theology? Well, theology is the study of God. We learn that Jesus' power is not limited by time and space. Jesus can just say a word. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 3, we, we understood that by the word of his power, he created the world. Jesus could have, he could save his son with a word. And Jesus could have gone with this man, right? Yes. Why didn't he? See, I believe he was more concerned with this man's faith than he was even with the health of this child. He was testing this man's faith. It, it reminds me of, of, of Naaman in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. Remember Naaman? Naaman was a he was a he was a, 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 the top general in the Syrian army. He was, a, he was a great general, but he had leprosy. And his wife had, a, had an Israeli servant girl who said, you should go to Israel. There's a man there that can help you. And so he, he, goes, he goes to Israel, and he goes to the king, and he says, I'll give you all this money if you heal me of my leprosy. And the, the king is like, I have no clue what I'm going to do. This is, this is a trap. And Elisha heard about it, Elisha the prophet. So, Elisha, so he goes to Elisha, this Naaman. And Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. He just sends one of his servants to tell him, go dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. Remember what Naaman did? It's like, we got rivers in Damascus. I mean, they're better than the Jordan. I don't need to do that. But a couple of his, his servants, it says, says, listen, this man has said a good word. Just go dip in the Jordan. Now, was there any magic in the Jordan? No. It was all about this man's faith. I mean, he could have been healed without stepping a toe in the Jordan. But it's, are you going to do what God tells you to do? And so he goes and he dips seven times, and you can just imagine what it did to that man's faith as he is healed. So how did this man respond? Look at verse 50 again. Jesus said to him, go and your son will live. And then here it is. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So here's the question. What should you do when God speaks? Listen and obey. Listen and obey. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. The fact is you have two choices. You can obey or disobey. There's really no middle ground. You can hem and haw, but that's disobeying. Partial obedience is what? It's disobedience. He tells him, go. This man believed, that word believed, it means to have complete trust, to, to have reliance, to have faith in, to have confidence in. The man took Jesus at his word. One minute he's begging Jesus to go with him, and the next minute he's ready to depart and go back to Capernaum. fact is, he heard the word of God, and he believed. He trusted Jesus by faith, and it was so. This is real faith. This is saving faith. Let me just say what it is. Saving faith is, that, is believing that Jesus who he sa is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. 
It's believing in the person and the work of Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Uh, this, this, this nobleman, it was as if he was saying, You've got to come to my house, you've got to kill my son, and then I will believe you. But Jesus didn't bite. He just gave him his word and taught him the importance of faith. See, so often we think seeing is believing, but Jesus was telling him that believing is seeing. If you just have enough faith. What is faith? Let me put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6 speaks of that. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This man had to have some faith at that moment because he believed. Verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please God. Why? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's a question. How do we know when God speaks? Remember the question, when God speaks, what should we do? Listen and obey. Well, how do we know when God speaks? This is God's word right here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 reminds us. Paul says this. I'll put it on the screen. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now notice what it says. It doesn't say some scripture is. All scripture. From Genesis all the way to maps. It's all breathed out by God. It, it, not only is it breathed out by God, but it is, it is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, that's those that believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is our manual. This is God's work. God has spoken. He wrote a book. It's all right here. God has given us his word. That's why we should read it. And live it and obey it. So, what should you do when God speaks? Listen and obey. Which brings us to the third question What should you do in response to God's salvation? What should you do in response to God's salvation? Well, this father, this nobleman, probably left the next morning. Because it was too late in the afternoon for him to take this journey back to Capernaum. It would have been too dangerous. And maybe he just, because of his faith, he just like, like, I'm good. So he gets up the next morning. And I'm thinking that on his walk, there's some, there's a little bit of anticipation. Is my son going to be okay? Will he be healed or not? Can I trust this word of Jesus and as he's walking in the distance, he sees some people coming towards him. And as they get closer, he recognizes them. It's a few of his servants. And you can imagine, he's just wondering, why are they coming? Do they have bad news? Why are they on the road? And we see verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Okay, now, imagine that was you. If it was me, I'd be jumping up and down. There'd probably be tears streaming down my face. But John doesn't record that. What he records 
is the question this man asks. What's the question? When? When? When did it happen? And notice 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The seventh hour, 1 p.m. At that moment, the fever left him. In that moment, this man's faith just took deep root. Because he realized that was the exact moment that Jesus said, go. Your son will be healed. Look at verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. It was at this point that the father went from believing that Jesus could heal his son to believing that Jesus was the Savior of the world, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. His faith became a saving faith. He has looked so many that want Jesus to save their son or to save their marriage or to save their business. And Jesus wants to save their soul. He wants to work in them so he can work through them. The fact is, Jesus wants to save your soul, and then he wants to deepen your faith. And so with this man, this nobleman, you can just imagine the testimony as he's sharing this to everybody around him. In fact, we see it in, in, at the end of verse 53, and he himself believed. He already believed, but now this belief is deep-rooted. And all his household, just imagine the testimony to his household. Now, they had seen how sick this boy was. Not only that, they had seen that the desperation of the father to go to see Jesus. And now to hear the testimony that at the exact hour Jesus said, your son will be healed. That's when it took place. It's when the fever broke and his listless body began to move and color came back into his face. Certainly this man was the Messiah. This father... His faith moved from a deliberate faith, or from a desperate faith to a deliberate faith. He went from speaking about the miracle to speaking about the Messiah who had performed the miracle. Don't miss the fact that we're looking for Jesus to do all these things, but don't miss Jesus in the midst of it. This was a man whose faith was tested, and as a result of his obedience, his faith was deepened. And all of a sudden, he became a proclaimer of Jesus. So what should you do in response to God's salvation? Let me put it up. You need to praise him and tell someone. See, it's in those moments that we should praise him. Listen, when we understand our salvation that we've received by, by grace... We should praise him, but we should also tell someone. We talked about that last week. We saw that in the message with the woman at the well. I mean, this woman comes to Christ, and all of a sudden, she couldn't stop but to tell everyone. It's the same for us. We should every day wake up and recognize the value of our salvation and worship him. But we should be so excited every day about what he has done I mean, think about it. If this was your child, you tell everyone. But it's your soul. You should tell everyone. What should you do in response to God's salvation? 
Praise him and tell someone. One last question. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up here as we get ready for communion. Have you received God's gift of salvation? There is salvation in no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Have you received God's gift of salvation? Listen, Jesus doesn't want, to just, want you just to, to believe because you're desperate. He wants you to believe because of his word. That he is God who took on human flesh. That he lived a perfect life. That he died a sacrificial death. And that he was raised to secure our eternal life. Listen, believe on the word and you will be saved. This man had enough faith to go to Jesus, but now he had faith to completely trust Jesus and to tell other people about Jesus.